0: for a beautiful song and very thoughtful. Well, today we're going to continue studying the Gospel of Luke together. So I wonder if any of you have ever wondered what it would have been like to hear Jesus preaching in the flesh. I mean, that would have been an exciting day, at the synagogue, to see Jesus show up and actually hear what he would say. Well, today we're going to be looking at the first recorded synagogue sermon of our Lord Jesus. Last Sunday in Luke's gospel, we looked at how Jesus prepared himself for his ministry by undergoing an extended 40-day fast period to prepare himself, time of prayer with his father to gain the necessary strength for the ministry that he would be performing soon. I mean, God even used the temptations of the devil, we looked at, to strengthen Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus persevered through those trials and He triumphed over all those temptations, not by just quoting the scriptures as we looked at, but by showing his resolve to obey and to please his Father. Well, today then, we see Jesus now ready for his mission. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, our passage begins, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Well, Luke in this next section begins actually today, goes all the way through chapter 9, verse 50. And it's about the Galilean mission, the first part of his mission. And if you just turn over briefly to chapter 9, verse 51, it says this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And you see, that marks off the next section now luke is a long gospel account and it seems like it takes a long time in reading gospel of luke for him to get to jerusalem but that's when the chapter or the book changes its focus and so we see then jesus resolute to accomplish the purpose for which he came to die on the cross for our sins but now we're just at the opening of his ministry and so in this whole next section for these next five six chapters luke is going to be answering the question for us who is this jesus who teaches like this and performs such miraculous works of power who is he and after this long introduction that we've gone through in these four chapters to who Jesus would be we finally get to the heart of the story and that begins today let's pray lord god we thank you so much for your work of salvation on our behalf we thank you for your scriptures that teach us truth about yourself and your purposes that inspires our lives. We pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would cause us to become even better worshipers of our Lord Jesus, for it's for his sake that we're gathered together this morning today. Amen. So please, if you haven't, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, and we're going to be going through verse 30 today. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set liberty at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and they said, And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town to brought him to the brow of a hill on which... Their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now the congregation assembled at Nazareth that day was listening with rapt attention to Jesus' words. And it's Luke's desire, of course, as he writes his gospel account, that we ourselves who read this listen really well to what Jesus has to say. And we're going to learn this morning about who Jesus is really revealing himself at this moment to these people. Who is he? Jesus is the spirit-anointed eschatological prophet, the one that everyone was looking for today. And we'll talk more about that passage in Deuteronomy that was read to us this morning. But the people of God were looking for the Messiah to be that one. The prophet spoke about him, the one like Moses but greater than Moses. Well, this one has come, and he's come and proclaimed the gospel of the new age of salvation. This is using the language of the prophet Isaiah, because during that old age, a new age was promised, a promise that when the Messiah came, the new covenant would bring in a full forgiveness of sins, a full experience of the Spirit of God, and the fullness of the peoples of the world would be joined to the people of God. Now, of course, Jesus is this prophet, but he is also the one who would fulfill the very things that he spoke about as he taught. Now after this brief summary in verses 14 and 15 of his early ministry, then it's Luke opens up onto the main story quite boldly with the story of what took place at this famous preaching event in the synagogue of Nazareth. And so in verses 14 and 15, we see that Jesus as a teacher gains great popularity, but it quickly turns in verses 16 to 30, but if Jesus is the teacher, he becomes then rejected by many. Jesus as a teacher gains great popularity, but Jesus as the teacher is rejected by many. I mean, So far in Luke, first four chapters, he's told us about the miraculous births of Jesus the Messiah, of John the baptizer, the preparer. He's talked to us about the preparation revival that John the Baptist was leading in the Jordan River Valley. He's introduced us to the Messiah and his entrance on the scene. We see Jesus in victory over the devil in his time of preparation for ministry in the desert, and all of this leads up to this passage today where Jesus launches his public ministry in Galilee. Jesus is the spirit anointed, eschatological prophet who has come and proclaimed the gospel of the new age of salvation. So now at the beginning, we read right away that Jesus as a teacher is gaining great popularity in verses 14 and 15. Just to read it to you briefly again. And Jesus returned, that is from the desert, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So these two verses speak about an earlier period of Jesus' ministry before the actual public announcement that's made in Nazareth. And so if we consider the opening chapters of John's Gospel account to be put together chronologically, this whole period that's being talked about here could have lasted for up to about a year and would have included things like Jesus gathering his very first followers, um, the miracle that he performed at the wedding at Cana, his first temple cleansing, Um, His interaction with Nicodemus and his interaction with the Samaritan woman. Otherwise, we don't really know the timing of this event recorded here in in Luke about this Nazareth speaking engagement. Luke summarizes this early time frame, even perhaps including some previous ministry in Galilee, in order to move to the major point, this particular day and this particular synagogue and this sermon event. But the major item we should notice right away in verses 14 and 15 is the connection between the Holy Spirit and Jesus' teaching. Now, we've already pointed this out so many times in the Gospel of Luke already. We see the involvement of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' conception in the womb of Mary. The Holy Spirit was involved in the speaking of a prophecy at his temple presentation as an infant. We saw the Holy Spirit visibly descend upon him at his baptism in the Gospel of Luke. We've seen the Holy Spirit guiding him, it says, throughout his temptations in the wilderness. Well, Luke now points out yet again the involvement of the Holy Spirit. As you can see, this is a major theme in the Gospel of Luke, and there's so much more to come. And the Holy Spirit guides and empowers Jesus, and of course, is behind all of his teaching. And of course, everything Jesus teaches is absolutely true because he came from heaven and he speaks the truth of God. And everything that we have recorded about him is exactly what God has designed for his church to have, no more and no less. And we have the scripture as the authoritative truth on who God is, how he saves, and how he works. Well, Luke wants us to realize that Jesus is becoming popular primarily because of his teaching. At this point in his ministry, he's not becoming popular because he's doing a lot of miracles around town. He's becoming popular because of his teaching. And Luke will make a big deal out of this in the next few chapters, and of course the rest of the gospel, but people are astounded at his teaching, how he grasped scripture, his authority when he taught, and his vision for how scripture should be interpreted now that he has come and fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And of course, his apostles would learn how to interpret the scriptures that way, and so would we as his church. Now a couple notes on this particular example of synagogue preaching, again, I, I mentioned at the beginning, have you ever, ever wondered what it would have been like to show up at church and there's Jesus preaching? I mean, this is, this is our opportunity and the only one you're gonna get. So here it is in Luke chapter four. It's a glimpse of what it would have been like. And it's perhaps one of the most important sermons that he ever gave in a synagogue because it's his inaugural address, if you will, of his public ministry. He just begun and what he's going to be doing. And Luke records for us the most important part of that sermon for us to hear today. He provides a lot of detail. And Luke is the only gospel writer that talks about Jesus quoting Isaiah 61 in regards to himself. In fact, is probably the only one that actually records this incident. There are some parallels in, in Matthew 13 and in Mark 6, and if you look at them, you'll see they could be the same incident, but probably they're a later incident that's being recorded. It's very hard to be certain. They're very similar in a lot of ways, but also very different. It's quite possible that Luke, in a sense, moves up the story because it's such a bold introduction to what it is that he wants to explain in his gospel. And that is, one of his themes is that the Messiah would come preaching the gospel, the gospel that would be for all of the world. It's just as possible, of course, that Jesus made a couple different visits to Nazareth. He preached a lot in synagogues. But regardless, this episode is Luke's opening. And this opens us up into understanding what he's going to be presenting in Jesus' ministry in Galilee. So Jesus as a teacher gains great popularity, so let's listen and maybe we can discover today why he was so popular. Better yet, as it says in verse 15, being glorified by all so as we listen to him speak, we can glorify him for who he is, the spirit anointed, eschatological prophet who came proclaiming the gospel for the whole world. So as we look into the next section here, He talked about Jesus being a prophet, and that's okay for most people. You know, just like it was in his day, in the day as the gospel was spreading under the Apostle Paul, and the early preaching, and the establishment of the church in the world. It's sort of the same thing today. You can talk about Jesus to most people as a prophet, a spiritual leader, and you're not going to get much pushback. In fact, people might even be eager to listen to what you have to say about what Jesus has to say. But if Jesus is the teacher, well, then he's going to be rejected by many. Because if you say he's the teacher, that means he's the eternal Son of God incarnate who reveals the authoritative truth from heaven. Now, that's a different story if you talk about Jesus that way. And maybe that's too big of a claim for people to process. How about you? Is Jesus just a teacher whose teachings are open to you assessing them? Or does he actually speak God's truth that is authoritative in everything he says? And so we see then Jesus reading the scripture in verses 16 to 20, and he sits down. And then in verses 21 to 22, he preaches. And then in verses 28 to 31 to 30, the congregation lynches him. This is what took place on that day. We begin then in verse 16. It says, And as he came to Nazareth, where he has been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it's written. This is in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. So Jesus, as it says, entered his hometown. This is where he grew up in Nazareth. This is where he worked as a young boy and a young adult. That's where he went to synagogue. Now, synagogues likely arose during the period of Babylonian exile after the temple had been destroyed and it wasn't available and the people weren't anywhere nearby. And so the practice of the synagogues were set up for primarily two purposes, that is teaching scripture and praying to God. And Jesus probably attended synagogue like his family, whose piety had already been noted in Luke. And of course, the synagogue practices continued. This one particular Sabbath, they went to the synagogue of Nazareth. Was, it was a quite memorable one. And we need to understand a little bit about the background of what took place. There is actually a lot of information available to us these days about what a typical synagogue meeting at the time might have looked like. In fact, you may or may not know this, but... Christian meetings would initially be based upon the order in a synagogue service. In fact, you can see that in the book of Acts and with the Apostle Paul if you take time to go through and look at that. But it's a very simple order of opening prayers and reciting of the Shema, the reading of Scripture, whether it's from the Torah or the prophets or the writings. Then third, the prayer and the sermon by a chosen reader, and finally a benediction. Very simple. But the centerpiece is understood to be the reading and the exposition of the Holy Scriptures. So Luke now, in recording this event, he stresses what's obviously the most important thing, and that is that Jesus is reading from the prophet Isaiah, 61, one and two. And sometimes in synagogues the, the text would be assigned, but here it appears that Jesus is the one that actually selected the text. He deliberately turned to this passage that speaks about the end times, the coming of the Messiah. And he selected this passage, it seems, for at least three reasons. You'll notice, if you look at it, that it speaks of the Holy Spirit anointing the Messiah. Well, Jesus, we just read about his baptism and his anointing. This passage in Isaiah speaks about the anointed eschatological prophet of the gospel, the one who would preach the good news. It's all about his message that he would be proclaiming very shortly. It also speaks about the anointed deliverer of the downtrodden. And it speaks very clearly about his work that he would be performing. So he selected this passage on purpose because of all these reasons, because everybody then knew exactly what this passage was talking about. And he was announcing in no uncertain terms that he's the Messiah the time is here he's the savior so this passage in Isaiah 61 it ties in so many hopes of the people of God that they've had for centuries the long standing hope that this prophet that was promised to come in the likeness of Moses would show up someday as we read this morning Deuteronomy 18:15 the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own countrymen and you shall listen to him and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that i command him this passage in isaiah 61 also ties in the servant passages of isaiah that the messiah and all the messianic hope that's contained in them so the good news i mentioned a couple weeks ago if you read isaiah 40 to the very end it contains so many passages that speak about who jesus would be and what the messiah would be like and the good news and what's contained in the good news salvation from sin the restoration of all things, the inclusion of people groups outside of Israel into the people of God. And then the summary phrase here, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is using the picture of the 50th year jubilee celebration in Leviticus 25. It's a picture of what the new age would be like. This jubilee year, of course, was a year to return to your land, And your debts were forgiven. And the slavery that you were enslaved with to pay off those debts is removed. Well, Jesus is saying for this passage that this day of Jubilee has now been fulfilled. The Lord has decided to bring freedom and to forgiveness of sin from the greatest debt of all. I hope you see the multiple levels of meaning and application that our Lord Jesus is drawing out of Isaiah 61. Because this is how scripture works. This is how the New Testament authors, the apostles, teach, because this is how Jesus taught. It's amazing, really. And the reference here to the poor and to the prisoners and to the blind and to the oppressed intentionally carry a double meaning. It's talking both about socio political economic realities on the one hand, as well as spiritual meanings. And we're supposed to grasp both. It's a double reference. And by a double reference, it teaches us that the gospel that we preach, that Jesus preached, does have and should have social implications. This is the common understanding of the church since the very beginning of the church. That we are to be involved in our communities with the gospel and with actually producing help and regeneration to our societies. But it's not talking only about social economic realities, of course. Those people miss the point entirely, if you go that way. We're not talking about some form of a liberationism, theology. And we're not talking about, as so often it seems people would imply by their comments, the people who have a really hard life, they'd like to get a free ticket to heaven. That's not true. But so often we talk about how hard people have or how much they suffer as if somehow that earns them salvation. It doesn't. The only way a person gets saved is by belief in Jesus Christ. But the gospel has both of these levels of implications. The another thing that this double reference teaches us is that those people in those types of situations in life generally have a better understanding of what it means to be dependent on God. It also teaches us that we should be prepared, if this is the opening of Jesus' ministry, who do you think he's gonna be talking to primarily? He's gonna be talking to these people who know their condition before God, not the self-righteous, self-sufficient people. It also teaches us to look at the true nature of our sinful condition because these are also metaphors. Metaphors for our spiritual condition and this also is a common understanding of the church ever since the beginning think about it naturally speaking you're poor in spirit we all are spiritually poor prisoners to sin blind to the truth of God and oppressed by the sins of the world and we need Jesus healing and salvation The double reference also teaches us to hope for the promises of a full restoration at the end of time. When Jesus comes back in his kingdom and brings it in fullness, there'll be complete healing of both body and soul. And there aren't going to be these problems. And we're not going to be in these conditions, those who believe in Jesus Christ. In other words, don't overlook the double reference here. Because there's so much richness in it. But I've seen over the years of ministry, People obscure these because of their personal politics. Obscure it because they want to focus only on gospel spiritualization of the text. But really, the biggest struggle we have is that we're basically well-off Americans. And it's hard for us to understand what's really being said here. We need to get out more in the world, and we'll see what life is like for so many. Well, Jesus then took his seat. So in the synagogue, this was the standard position of teaching. I don't know how we got away from that. That seems like a very comfortable way for me to teach. It would be much more enjoyable than standing all the time. But that was the common position at the time As he would sit. And so everyone now is focused, what's he gonna say? He just read Isaiah 61. What's he gonna say about it? And so they're waiting with eagerness what he will say. And it goes on then in verse 21. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious things that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And then he said to them, doubtless you will quote this proverb, physician heal yourself. What well, we've heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard all these things, all the synagogue was filled with rage. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst he went their way, he went his way. Well, certainly Jesus may have said a whole lot more than is actually recorded here, probably so, but it's not given to us by God. What we have is these words, and Jesus clearly sees himself as the fulfillment of Isaiah sixty one and the prophecy of salvation. And so he states it to the congregation. Jesus simply begins with the statement that the scripture now stands fulfilled. I mean, how awesome. People are really wondering what he is talking about. And their initial response is to speak really well of him and wonder at these words because they're sensing God's favor. What does all this mean? And they're so amazed that they start talking about, but but we know who this guy is. I mean, isn't this Joseph's son? And so, this, this little phrase might be the signal that hostility is starting to rise within them, but more likely here is just, it's hard to believe what they're seeing and hearing and to piece it all together. What they've heard about Jesus doing, what he's saying here, he's saying Isaiah 61 is fulfilled. And while they're all pondering this and whispering in the room, Jesus exposes what's really on their minds and hearts. You see, because at first you might think, oh, these are just such great listeners. But what we realize is that they're not really that appreciative audience that we might think they are. They flatter themselves by flattering Jesus. And so he charges them by demanding miracles from God like he performed at Capernaum recently, especially now that he just applied Isaiah 61 to himself. And he quotes this popular saying, physician heal yourself. It was popular at the time and he interprets it then from their perspective and he forces their feelings and sentiments out in public this proverb can simply mean, well, prove what you're saying. But in this context, it even goes further to say, we want you to do at home right now what is reported you're doing in Capernaum and the other places. Show us. And so the proverb, proverb is really a proverb of skepticism. That, And it also speaks to the truth that even sometimes we ourselves experience that Those who achieve success abroad rarely are ever trusted at home. But then Jesus quotes another common saying. He says, well, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. It's a deliberate play on words here, actually, because it could be translated. It's it's a play on words with verse 19. So verse 19 says in the quotation, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, some of your translations, it will say the acceptable year of the Lord or the favorable year of the Lord. Well, the word here in verse 24, when Jesus says, truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown, is the same word in Greek, dektos. And it's a purposeful statement. And the point is, is that they won't accept the blessings that come from Isaiah 61 because they won't accept him as the Messiah. I mean, they seem to want God's blessings without God's Messiah, without God's Jesus. But you know, it's not going to happen. I mean, Jesus is the only hope, the only truth, the only life. People today seem to think that they can do the same thing. Get God's blessings without God's Messiah. It doesn't work that way. Even more so, Jesus compares himself here to the Old Testament prophets. So you see what he's doing? So He's quoting these two stories, and he's saying, see, I'm like the Old Testament prophet, Jesus, saying, and you guys, you're like the apostates of Israel. That's who you are in this story. And so then he gives these two stories. And he begins, it's obviously a serious thing, because he begins with the word truly, and now the reason becomes apparent. So the two examples are from Elijah, and it's in First Kings 17 and 18, if you want to read the whole story, First Kings 17 and 18. And then the story of Elisha that he references in Second in Kings chapter 5. So both these stories, uh, episodes, take place uh, in the last half of the 9th century B.C., roughly. So, in Elijah's story that's being referenced, Elijah gets sent to a Phoenician widow, while at the same time, God is judging Israel with drought and famine for three and a half years. And God sent Elijah to this woman with a blessing, but only to her, and graciously to her, a lowly Gentile. And so, if we cut to the heart of the story, it's in 1 Kings 17:14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her whole household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. And then in Elisha's story, in 2 Kings 5, he healed a Syrian military officer named naaman and god cleansed only this one of leprosy none of them in israel you see god limited his mercy and so in second kings five fourteen, it cut to the heart of the story so it says naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the jordan according to the word of the man of god and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean So the point of these two examples is that God did not favor the widows and lepers of Israel at the time because they were a bunch of apostates. But he did favor some among the Gentiles who were their enemies at the time, and it was according to God's word, God's word of his prophet, God's plan, and God's purposes. And so this teaching of salvation moving on to the Gentiles will become a reality in Jesus' ministry. And we'll see that in the Gospel of Luke. And it was especially true at the writing of Luke's Gospel. And it remains so today as the Gospel continues to spread to the very ends of the earth, to all the corners, to all the tribes of the people, to call out people for himself from amongst all people groups. It's obvious after Jesus says this, well, I guess he's not going to be doing any special favors for people today. That's not going to be happening because they're largely apostates. They don't believe who he is, who he says he is. But they're still required to believe it, that he is that eschatological prophet sent from God to preach the gospel of the new age of salvation. You know, similarly today, people ask God to do special favors for them to, especially of Jesus, to prove who he says he is. I mean, how many times do you hear people say things like, well, you know, if there's really a God, then let him do this and I'll believe. Well, sorry, it's not gonna happen. God doesn't owe you anything, so it's not gonna happen. If you wanna know him, well, then seek him. Otherwise, you know, the conversation really is of no point. God doesn't respond to ultimatums that people give him. Well, then the congregation, of course, they're not very happy with this sermon, And so they lynched Jesus, the preacher. Jesus was obviously right, then, wasn't he? And exactly what he said, because their behavior proved that what he said about their hearts was true. Simeon's words from thirty years ago, in Luke chapter two, when Jesus was presented at the temple, chapter two, verse thirty four, if you want to glance at it, Simeon's words are are getting fulfilled. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now the congregation is enraged at Jesus for condemning Israel and blessing Gentiles, their enemies, by telling these stories, and especially his implication that they who are listening, who appear to be such a a nice crowd, that they are apostates. And so again, the, the rage at these sayings of Jesus is not just limited to back then. I mean, it's the same thing that we see today when the gospel actually exposes what's in people's hearts, they get mad often. You ever notice that? That as long as you talk to people about Jesus, and they can take their own words and put them in Jesus' mouth, then they like what Jesus has to say. If you talk to people about Jesus, and then they can determine what righteousness is, and then put that back on Jesus and say, well, Jesus, what would Jesus do? He would do exactly what I do. Well, then those conversations are really easy to have. But as soon as you actually quote Scripture, and you say what Jesus actually said, you know, he didn't say a lot of nice things. He said some nice things, but not a lot. He didn't necessarily do a bunch of nice things either for people, but he did a good number of them. But when people get confronted with what Jesus actually teaches and who he really is, then they get upset because it exposes them as a sinner who needs Jesus to die for their sins. Who, As a person who is ignorant of the truths of God and spirituality, people think they're so smart. But then if they listen to what Jesus actually said, then they realize they are blind to truth. And Jesus is the one that teaches the truth. So you start talking to people about Jesus that way, you're going to get a different response. So he just started this sermon, and they drive him out of the synagogue, out of the city, to a nearby cliff to throw him down and probably either to kill him or to then chase him down and beat him up some more. So they must have been really guilty, you know, to go to this extent to be this mad at somebody. And, you know, this kind of stuff happens around the world today, too. A lot of places, especially South Asia. Well, anyway, this predicts in vivid picture what's going to happen later on in the story in the Gospel according to Luke when Jesus actually gets killed, because, you know, it's the same thing. It's a mob mentality. And the mob goes after Jesus, and they take him outside of Jerusalem, and they crucify. Now, of course, the parallels just keep continuing as we read our Bibles, the parallels of Jesus' own disciples. They would follow the same experiences and have the same pattern take place in their lives. In fact, Luke, as he writes the book of Acts, especially as you get toward the end, you'll see the purposeful paralleling of what took place with the Apostle Paul with what took place with the Lord Jesus because as Jesus lived and died and suffered and was glorified, so we are united with him and those same things will happen in the lives of his followers. So if you read through Acts 13 to 28, particularly the last part of the book, you can keep that in mind and you'll see the parallels to Jesus' life, they're very obvious. And then it really goes back to what Jesus would be teaching later on. So if you, if you look briefly ahead to Luke 9:22, you can see what Jesus says will happen to all of his followers. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake is the one who will save it. Well, Then we get to verse 30, the end of the story. But passing through their midst, he went away. This shows his divine power and majesty. It's a very subdued notation of an extremely powerful miracle. It's just like, just right there, a couple phrases. And the people themselves probably couldn't even explain what happened very well. And we might want to note, too, since we just read this last week, you know, here's the answer to the devil's third temptation. Do you notice that? Huh? Yeah? He said, do oh, jump off. you know." And Jesus will, or God your, God your father will give his angels charge over you. Psalm 91 will be fulfilled and he'll take care of you. Well, he was about to be thrown down, but God gave his angels and uh, rescued his son even beforehand. We might also note that in line with the prediction, just how this mob predicted in the lynching, eventually the mob cru- crucifying Jesus, this escape here prefigures what's going to happen at the end of the story too, because Jesus will be raised from the dead. So Jesus, the teacher, is rejected by many. Because of his teaching, two things happen at the same time. He's teaching, and a bunch of people love him, and then he's teaching, and a bunch of people hate him. And they both groups continue to grow for a while. And as readers of Luke's gospel, we usually love to focus on on this passage from Isaiah 61 because We believe in Jesus as our savior. And we see who he is here as he declares, he's the divine Messiah. He's the eternal son of God who's become man. And he saved us by his cross. He's the divine teacher who came preaching the gospel. We see in here he's the divine deliverer who's gonna rescue us from all oppression forever and all disease and all those things. Jesus is the spirit anointed Eschatological prophet of Isaiah 61 who has come and he's proclaimed the gospel, the good news that the new age of salvation is now here, where there will be a full forgiveness of sins offered, there will be a full reception of the Spirit's work in your life available, and there will be a full measure from amongst humanity coming into the people of God. Now, as we finish our passage this morning. There is a key word in Luke that will return many times to us. So I want to point it out today, and that's in verse 21, where he says, He began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, the word today is actually repeated many more times in Luke with the sense of the timeless now. In other words, today is today. It's always the opportunity. In other words, Luke wants his readers to read it as if even us today, if August 22nd, 2021 was today. It's yet another day in which salvation is offered to those who hear the Word of God. Would you believe it? Is Jesus just another teacher or is he the teacher? sent from heaven. You know, it's still a worldwide controversy. Where do you land on it? Was Jesus just another good, maybe even the best teacher of spiritual realities? Or is he alone? His words alone, are they the only way? Are they the ultimate truth and the true life? You know, Peter the apostle, after healing the lame beggar, In Jerusalem, shortly after Pentecost, he preached what's known as his second sermon. And in this sermon, he related the hope in Jesus as the Christ and as the prophet. And we've been talking about that a lot this morning. And you may or may not be familiar with theological terms that that Jesus fulfills all three offices. Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. If not, we'll get more into that later on. But as part of the gospel and this key office that's being focused on here in our passage today is that Jesus the Christ is our prophet, the prophet, who would teach us about God and God's will very clearly. The apostle John opens his gospel with these words, no man has ever seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. And in Peter's sermon, It's Acts 3.18, if you want to turn there, Acts 3.18. And this is what we read recorded. It's only a part of the sermon. It says, But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive, until the period of the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, and this is from Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, the Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it is, shall be, that every soul that does not heed the prophet, that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward, also announced these days. And this is the message from the Apostle Peter about who Jesus is. And although Jesus' message this morning, as we read it in the synagogue in, in Jerusalem, or synagogue in Nazareth, Nazareth, it's a judgmental message that Jesus preached to them. I mean, he almost got himself killed for it. But you know, the, those of us who know Jesus know, there's a whole lot more to his ministry. He didn't always preach that way. This depended on what people needed to hear, apparently. But he also spoke about many other things, and we find this very reassuring then when we read this passage because we know that Jesus speaks with authority and with truth. And so we'll take to heart the themes, the major themes that are laid out for us this morning of blessing in Luke chapter four. So there are three, first of all. The teaching ministry of Jesus is noted at the very beginning as being done in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a major point that Luke is making, because now, at least for the next three gospels, it's going to be a lot of focus on his, or three chapters. there's going to be a lot of focus on his teaching. Well, if that's true, then we should put ourselves in a posture of learning as disciples. We want to learn what Jesus has to say. He's teaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we want to learn from the Gospels and all of Scriptures. That's our posture toward the Word, is to learn. Second theme is that there's this promise of salvation that includes the multitudes from among the Gentiles, all the peoples of the world eventually. It was promised in the prophets, in Isaiah specifically here, and even by Jesus' two examples. It's a major theme. That the gospel is for the whole world, for all who want to be saved from their sins. So if that's true, then we're going to bless God for our salvation because it came to us. And we're going to want to share it with other people and be active in evangelism and missions. Directly. Not just indirectly. Being excited about what other people are doing, but it should be so exciting that we want to be involved in it that we personally want to be a part of the mission. Third theme. There is this very clear emphasis on how the spiritual hopes and the physical hopes of our lives are fused in the gospel. And the hope of redemption is not just the salvation of our souls, but it's the salvation of our bodies in the resurrection from the dead when Jesus returns. And so it allows us to enjoy our salvation now and all the blessings that God does pour on us, even physically, as we still anticipate that there is more yet to come with the appearing of Jesus, and we're going to get to see and embrace all the implications of the gospel as his followers. Well, let me pray for us this morning over these passage, this passage and these ideas and these blessings from God's word this morning. Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much for your holy scripture that you've given to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of the Father, that you came, you took on humanity, and you came teaching the truth from God, the truth about yourself, the truth about the prophecies, and fulfilling them all and telling us that in your coming, everything is being fulfilled. And so we glorify you this morning because we know that you would accomplish what you proclaimed, by your cross and your resurrection, by your reigning in heaven now and by your return in the future. We thank you for the full forgiveness of sins that we have, the full experience of the Spirit in our life. We thank you that this is not just for ourselves, but for all those who would put their trust in you and what you taught and what you did and who you are as the Son of God. Today we glorify you, Lord Jesus, for you are the eternal one, the holy one, and our Savior. Amen.